The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Good morning, Downtown Church. It is good to be with you on this uh, Sunday morning. Um, We are having to uh, do an all-virtual service because of an exposure among our staff and Uh, We are trusting God in the midst of this uh, pandemic, in the midst of these strange days and a strange season, Um, and we trust this is all within his plan. So I'm excited to get right to the text this morning. We're going to be looking at uh, Luke chapter 1, and I'll begin reading in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Pray with me. Our great God, we thank you that though you reign high, you have come low. Lord Jesus, we exalt you this morning because you are the one who came to us. You are not the one who sits far back and expects us to come to you, but you have come to us. You have come that we might respond to your coming. You have loved that we might love. You have have done your work that we might believe and we might have hope. You have entered this dark world and you are its light. And you are our light this morning. And so we pray that you would open our hearts and that you would allow your light to illuminate inside of us, that we might have hope, that the darkness might be driven away, that all hopelessness might turn to hope, that all despondency might turn to rejoicing and faith. Oh God, meet us right where we are and do what only you can do. Do the impossible because that's the kind of God you are. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would grant me mercy and grace, grant me your spirit, that I might communicate your truth and that you might speak through me. Oh God, you know my need and so do I. So I give myself to you this morning. Work in and through me, O God, for your glory and the good of your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I am uh, making my way through uh, President Obama's memoirs, A Promised Land, and uh, it is not a brief work. <laughs> and, and whereas many things have struck me in this work, uh, one particular practice that, that he had throughout his eight years in office um, has struck me, and that was to end most days by um, taking 10 notes that his staff had, had hand-chosen for him to read, 10 notes from common citizens uh, for him to read. And uh, one note uh, that he read sometime in 2009, it was at the, um, the height of the recession, 2008, 2009, he had just taken office, and, and here is a letter that someone uh, wrote to him. Dear President Obama, Today, I was informed that effective June 30th, 2009, I will join the rapidly growing number of unemployed in this country. As I tuck my children into bed tonight, fighting the panic that is threatening to consume me, I realize that as a parent, I will not have the opportunity that my parents had. I cannot look at my children and tell them honestly that if you work hard enough and sacrifice enough, then, anything's, then anything is possible. I have already learned today that you can make all the right choices, do all the right things, and it still might not be enough because your government has failed you. Although my government has been talking quite a bit about protecting and helping middle America, what I've seen has been to the contrary. I see a government that has been catering to lobbyists and special interest group. I see billions of dollars that are being spent on bailouts for financial institutions. Thank you for allowing me to voice just a few of my thoughts on this emotional night. Sincerely, Nicole Brandon from Virginia. President Obama, after reading that note, took out uh, his note cards with the, the White House and the presidential seal on it, and he hand wrote her a note detailing what his administration was attempting to do to bring help to uh, her situation, to her how he was thinking of her and how he was considering her in the policies that were being made. A handwritten note. Can you imagine her surprise uh, upon receiving that note, opening it up and, and seeing the care and attention to detail to her pain, to her suffering? You see, here's the reality. The fact that this woman wrote a note to the president is not very surprising but the fact that he responded is overwhelmingly surprising. Who the powerful are mindful of, who they prioritize, tell us much about them. This is the context in which we read these words. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee from Nazareth to a virgin betrothed or engaged, legally engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. God noticed a teenage girl and he came to her. And whereas we learn so much about Mary in this passage, we really understand and learn the nature of God toward the weak, toward the powerless, toward the marginalized. So the first thing that we have to do in this passage is understand this obvious 
and resounding message, and that is that God's choice of Mary reveals that he is for the powerless and marginalized, the overlooked and underestimated. The Talmud uh, uh, was a, a book of customs, Jewish customs that developed through um, the centuries. And in the Talmud, um, men would uh, pray this prayer that was printed there and it said this, Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who has not created me a woman. Now it also blesses God for not having created uh, them a Gentile or a slave, uh, you know, servant, if you will. And, and what we see in this, what we see in this prayer is what is at the center of every culture. And practically every and, and every religion, and that is this hierarchy of the blessing of God coming to those who are in the right, who have the right gender, who have uh, the right socioeconomic bracket, who have the, the right heritage, the right line, and so forth. But what we learn in, in this passage, what is striking and would have been striking to the original readers and to Mary herself was the reality that God came to the powerless one. Mary had no power. The only power she has was in who she married. And she was marrying the, the town carpenter. <laughs> Uh, she was not marrying into a wealthy family. She wasn't marrying into a powerful family. She was marrying Joseph. She was literally nobody. She had no recourse. She was of the marginalized of her day. And God came to her. And friends, that is the very, that brings you and I hope. Because he didn't come to the powerful he came to the one who was powerless. Are you feeling powerless right now? Do you feel overlooked? Do you feel insignificant? Do you feel as if God could never do anything for you or that he would never notice you? God's choice of Mary tells us just the opposite. He sees you. He knows your pain. And he is not ashamed to call you his daughter nor his son. The way of the kingdom is also um, shouted through this encounter because God didn't come to give Mary power. He didn't come to put her on top. And this shows us the, the nature of God's work in his kingdom. You see, the way of the kingdom is not to take those on the bottom and put them on top. But the way of the kingdom is so transformed, so bring individual hope, which, which uh, combines to have collective hope, that, that we don't need to be on top. But we become willing servants because we know that God is on the throne, that Jesus is on the throne, that he is bringing his kingdom to come. He is bringing his kingdom through us as we serve him and his purposes. This is the radical nature of the kingdom of God. You see, Mary was freed from even needing to be on top of power, to be on a throne. She didn't need beauty. She didn't need wealth. She didn't need reputation because she had God and he was her wealth and his love for her was her, her identity. 
And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, is God's love, is God's choice of us, is his nearness to us our identity? Is that the, the reference point from which we are operating and living life? We see that this was Mary's hope and Mary's view of herself in, in her song. In verses 46 through 48, she sings, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Notice she doesn't say, he has seen me and made me powerful and, and I am, you know, he has tweeted my name to the world. No, the fact that the God of heaven and earth has noticed her, has come to her, has favored her, is her hope. And dear friends, God favors you if you are his son or daughter this morning and you can magnify the Lord too. Here's the issue. Either we're gonna magnify the Lord because of his love for us or we are going to be bitter toward the Lord. We're either going to see ourselves as his servant, joyfully and gladly chosen and dearly loved, or we're going to see God as our servant and one that had better start changing the circumstances of our lives and putting us on the throne and giving us what we really want deep down. And that is the foundation of your identity. It's one of the two. Either you're a servant of God or you're looking for God to be your servant. Which is it for you this morning? Mary found hope in the reality that she was favored of God and that she brought her life under the lordship and the godship of, of, of the king. Have you this morning? And then secondly, what we see is God's choice of Mary reminds us that we do not need to fear. I, I kind of like roller coasters, um, and I say kind of. <laughs> um, it, it, there's, there's a lot about it I like, and there's a lot about it that I don't like. Um, the, the reality is this. Every time I get on a roller coaster, I, there, there's that adrenaline and that excitement, but there's also something deep in my soul that says, wait, wait, wait right before it starts going, right before I begin to lose control and I have to completely put my faith in the engineers and the mechanics that put this thing together. And what we see in this passage is that Mary is afraid when God comes to her through the angel Gabriel. And who wouldn't be? But, but the question I ask myself is, is she afraid because the angel came to her? Well, absolutely so. But I think it's more than that. I think she's also afraid of what uh, the angel had to say, the mission that she was, uh, that God was calling her to take part in, namely to carry the, the, the son of God, the son of the most high, God himself. And yet the reality is that just because God is calling us, just because God is, has chosen us, just because God is, is calling us to himself does not mean that he is going to shield us from scary things. Mary would have to face the scorn of the, the perception that she was having a baby out of wedlock. And that was a death knell. That was uh, social suicide. Um, cultural, religious suicide in, in her Jewish faith and her Jewish community. 
She would have to endure that. She would have to endure uh, the snickering. She would have to endure the gossip um, around her. Um, she would have to endure all of this, and therefore God would have to be everything to her. But in fact, he could be everything to her, and, and, and his power could overrule her fear. Listen, we get insight in verses 30 through 33. The angel Gabriel said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. We see the scary plan of God, what God is bringing to Mary, and yet we also see the assurance of his favor in the midst of that scary time. I had a, a mother of actually a grown son reach out to me a couple of nights ago. Her son had received, has been battling cancer and had received a very um, unfavorable and negative report. Um, on his cancer, and it, it doesn't look hopeful. And, and she said to me, I don't know that I can do this. I don't know that I can do this. And then she said, but I know I have to. And friends, that's where we live, all of us. I don't think I can handle the circumstances that are coming at me right now. I don't think I have the strength. But friends, when we are weak, then he is strong. Those are the moments that we understand the realities of our faith, the realities of what Christ has done in living, dying, rising, coming again to make all things new. It's in those moments when, when we literally have no control and we feel as if we're being carried along like we're in a river and we have no control over what happens next. It's in those moments that we can understand more than any other times that God can be trusted and we do not have to fear. This is the hope of this passage. And this point is so important for us because I think one of the most powerful arguments against Christianity is this argument of if God is so powerful and loving, then how can he allow what's happening to me, what has happened to me, what I know might happen to me, how can he allow evil and suffering um, to still exist in this world and even in my life? And here's the reality. What we see from this passage, what we see from Mary's life is there's the reality that just because we can't understand um, the good uh, that, that God could bring in seemingly horrible, horrific, um, troubling times, um, at least disorienting times, just because we don't see it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Just because we can't see how God is working doesn't mean that he is not working. You see, we, we already see it right after this, that, that indeed God is at work. The, the Magi come and they bring gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
And, and, and yet they depart and then an angel comes and says, you got to get out of there. You got to go to Egypt because Herod is looking for um, you. He, he's looking to kill the, your little baby. And so uh, Mary and Joseph head off to Egypt. But how has God provided already? They had gold and frankincense and myrrh. He'd already provided for the trip. And yet a few thousand Babies in Bethlehem were murdered, ruthlessly murdered. What is the purpose of that? I don't know. One day, someday, maybe we will. I don't know, but just because I can't see the purpose doesn't mean that there isn't. And we see it in Joseph and Mary. Throughout their life, Mary is pondering the promises of God and the declarations of God early in life. Even when she gets or Jesus gets to the end of his life, can you imagine her confusion? Can you imagine what's going on in her heart as she sees her son falsely accused of heresy, arrested, uh, tried in some mockery of a trial, beat, spit upon, um, and, and, and then nailed to a cross naked publicly? Can you imagine what is going on in her heart? God, I thought that, you, that this was your son. I thought that he was going to reign um, on the throne of David and over the house of David forever. I thought, I thought, I thought, because you said. And then he goes into the tomb. And can you imagine those three days? Can you imagine her pain? Can you imagine her anger? Can you imagine her confusion, her disorientation? But oh, but then the third day. And what happens? God raises his son. Jesus comes bursting out of the grave, exploding the power of sin and death forever. The greatest thing that ever happened was sowed in, in, in the soil of some of the worst and horrific um, activities ever encountered by any person, especially God himself. Dear friends, you don't have to fear just because you don't understand how God is working in the circumstances that you're facing, he is working. Why? Because he favors you. You say, Richard, how can you say that? I can say that because if you're a child of God, this is what happened. This Jesus who was born in the flesh, who became a single cell from the moment of his conception to the moment of his judgment, from the moment that he was born to the moment that he um, 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 died, he lived perfectly, but he did it not to shame you, but to save you. His whole life was a life of living under the law and from his soul to his heart, to his mind, to his actions, he perfectly, perfectly and exhaustively uh, obeyed the law of God in every point. He dotted every I, he crossed every T, but he did it with you in mind, knowing that you and I would not dot every T and, and or excuse me, dot every I and cross every T, but we would mess it up, that the stories of our lives would, would be unintelligible in terms of writing, that we indeed would, are sinners, and yet he obeyed the law in our place and he goes to the father and he says, here is my record. Take it on behalf of my son. Take it on behalf of my daughter. And then he became our sin. He became all of our filth, all of our evil thoughts, all of our evil actions, all the things that we've done and all the, the good things that we've left undone. 
And he satisfied the requirements of the law for you and me. That now through faith, we might be the favored sons and daughters of God. Oh, dear friend, do you understand the hope that he brings you this morning? Mary understood the favor of God and it stood as her identity in the face of, of unkind and confusing and disorienting providences in her life. And that same hope can be offered to you even more abundantly because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. But then thirdly and finally, God's choice of Mary tells us that God can and will do the impossible. Verses 35 and 37. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Because Mary goes, How can this happen? This is how. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, speaking of Elizabeth, for nothing will be impossible with God. A virgin birth and a barren womb brought to life. This contrast that Luke gives us is fascinating because on one hand we have the virgin birth and it's not an answer to a prayer. It is God simply showing up and accomplishing his good pleasure and his good will in the life of Mary. And yet, in Elizabeth's life, he answers a prayer that had stopped being prayed long ago. Hope was, was, had been put on the shelf. That There was no hope because Elizabeth just accepted the fact that her womb was barren, that, that it was dead, that there was never going to be any life, and she was the scorn of the town. And yet God comes to her, and God brings life where there's death. And friends, that is the kind of God that we have. God's ways have purpose and they are good. And it's important and vital to remember God is always at work. And he's always at work by his spirit. I love the, the imagery here. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. You know what that brings to mind for me? It brings to mind creation when there was nothing but darkness and, and chaos and what happens? The Holy Spirit comes down and is hovering and God begins to speak and the Spirit goes into action and he brings forth this beauty that we call creation. He brings forth the, this wonder that we call the universe and he brings forth you and me by crafting a man and then creating a woman, breathing life into the man. But how did he do it? He did it by his spirit. And we see it here that God makes the very son of God, the son of the most high, a single cell by the power of the spirit. And friends, if God can bring all that we understand, all that we experience through his creation, and if he can bring his own son through a single cell into the life of this world, being born in the flesh, then don't you think he can meet you where you are in your circumstances and bring hope and bring life where there's death and bring hope where there's hopelessness and bring light where there's darkness 
and bring encouragement where there's discouragement and bring joy where there's despondency and maybe even depression. Don't you think that he by his spirit can do just that? And don't you think that he will? Because what else must he do to prove his love for you but send his only begotten son? What else does he have to give? He's given everything for you that you might believe in this moment that he has not forgotten you and he can do the impossible. Trust him, dear friends. Press your life into him. This Jesus is not just a child. He is a king who is reigning on his throne over the house of David, over Israel, over his church. And he is accomplishing his will. Mary was living out of the hope of the kingdom of God one day, someday, where the rich would be brought down and the humble exalted, where, where the hungry would be fed and so forth. And that is the nature of the kingdom of God. It's not to put you and me in power so now we can find uh, comfort in our new surroundings. No, in our new power and so forth. No, it is to find hope in God who is our power, in God who is our king. He is good and we can rest under his, his rule. We, we can work peacefully and, and powerfully and hopefully under his rule because he reigns on the throne. This is the hope that we have as Christians. And friends, we need this hope right now. I know I do. It has been a rough week for Rachel and myself. We had to put my stepfather in the hospital on Tuesday. And it's a, it's a troubling time to do that in the midst of COVID. And it was a tough decision. Um, but we saw God show up in many ways. But because of that, we brought my mother to, to live with us for um, until actually Christmas Day when my stepfather got out of the hospital. And my mother is suffering from dementia. And the cruel nature that is the disease dementia uh, is something that we got to see more up close and more personal as we became her caregivers. And it was devastating. It, it was truly devastating. And it's still devastating. And the realities of, of what needs to happen now and, and decisions that have to be made and, and all the rest came crashing down on us. But oh, in the midst of that, the hope that I have a God, that we have a God who came to Mary, who saw her and noticed her, the most powerless, the most marginalized, the most undervalued uh, in society. God valued and God came. And oh, he came with a message that you don't have to fear. And he came with the message that the impossible is possible with him because that is his nature. Friends, what are you facing? Dear friends, what do you fear facing? This is the God that you have. Would you trust him? Would you press your heart toward him? That is my hope on this day, that you and I would, and that we would be his citizens of his kingdom, living under his kingship, gladly rejoicing, even in the midst of a dark and scary world around us. Pray with me. Our great and glorious King, 
We thank you, Lord Jesus. We, we worship you this morning because you reign high. You are on the throne of David. You are on the throne of glory. You reign over the universe and we know your nature. You are good. Oh, this world is so dark. The pain is unbearable at times. But oh, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have overcome the world and you are bringing your kingdom to bear and you will one day make all things new, wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be nothing but joy and laughter and gladness and feasting and flourishing forever and ever and ever as we live in your presence and out of your presence. Oh God, don't just warm our hearts, but change our hearts with this reality today that we might be your humbly bold citizens seeking to do your will, seeking to bring your love and your light right into the, 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 the corner and crevice uh, of your kingdom that you have us serving. Thank you, O oh God, that we can trust you. We give our hearts to you and we do so, do so in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Friends, as we uh, conclude this, this message and this sermon, I, I would ask that you would consider responding to the grace and glory of God by bringing tithes and offerings to Him. Um, we really need to see strong end-of-year giving, and so I'm asking each of us to consider what we might give over and above our normal tithe and that we might give this week. Please do so um, before the end of the day of, of January 31st. Um, if you wanna be absolutely confident that um, your gift will be deposited in this year, um, you may do so, um, you know, please do so even on the 30th. Uh, that would be extremely helpful to us. But we ask you that, give um, and give freely and, um, and go and be blessed. Thank you, friends.